Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Well, he played in the Civil War football games. He's coaching in them. Jonathan Smith knows a rivalry when he sees it. Joining us now. Uh, Give us an idea of your ideal Thanksgiving day. Like, you know, how does the morning start? Do you watch football? Are you locked into your team and prep? Is there any time for stuffing and turkey? Yeah. Uh, I kind of like where where we're headed to... uh... Tomorrow, we're going to wake up, get into meetings in the morning, have a have a practice, okay. and then have a meal with our team and family. Uh, so we'll hang out here around the facility most of the the morning and lunchtime, and then head home. And then we'll probably do something together as a family. So it's like the best of both worlds, man. I get around the team and celebrate Thanksgiving with a practice, but then also get a little family time. What was it like for you as a kid? Like, what was it? Th- did you have Thanksgiving traditions in the Smith household? You know, we we would get together with aunts, uncles, cousins, that type of thing. Obviously, doing turkey and gravy and uh, dressing and all of that. Uh, but tradition was to get with some family, and I always enjoyed it. Coach, uh, this this is a lot of fun. You you are half responsible for this because I'm looking at what you're doing at Oregon State and what Dan Lanning's doing at Oregon, and I'm going, this is going to be fun for the rest of us. And it looks like it's set up to be fun for some time if you guys keep doing what you're doing. Um, what is it like for you to be in the middle of this when this is going to be a great game? This is going to be a competitive game. It means something. You have a shot to get to nine wins. They're trying to get to Vegas. You're trying to get to the best bowl game. You, you can possibly get to. How's that feel? Yeah, it, you know, it feels good that we've got, got the game. It's important, and like you say, it means something. And, uh, you know, I, I, do, I do enjoy these guys we're working with, players working hard, and you want to play the end of the season with something on the line and something to mean for. And uh, So, yeah, it adds to the excitement. And obviously here at Oregon State we're trying to, to keep the thing going and playing bigger and bigger games the next few years. There, there. You know, you played as a player with a little chip on your shoulder, and as a coach, I feel like it's still there a little bit. And I know when I, let's say, I pick you guys, or maybe I don't pick you to win big, or maybe I pick against you, and maybe the odds are against you guys. Do you like that better when you look up and you're a little bit of an underdog, or would you like to go into a game as like a you know 14 point favorite one day and all you know, uh, big up, you know, a lot of downside, no upside uh, when you walk into the stadium. Right, you know, I think we're all competitive, and whatever the circumstances are, if you're, you know, picked to win big or you're picked to lose, all of that you 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 know compete against, and you got opportunity to to play that week, and what people are saying or what the you know people think that it's going to take place, all of that you just love the competition of it. I think our our current roster, these guys, they love competing and uh, backs against the wall or heavy favorites, all of that they love putting it out on the field on Saturday. How do you prepare for Oregon when you see Bo Nix is kind of, you know, is he Bo Nix from week three or Bo Nix from week 11? Or, you know, there's just a different player last week against Utah. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's a little bit uncertain. I mean, the guy's a really good player, competitive, skilled, athletic, all of that. Um, but what what they were trying to show last week in regards to how they were using them, that was a little bit different than previous weeks. And so how do you prepare if, if this guy is? He's going to be a whole lot more healthy this next week and be able to move and run. Because and, he's had some huge runs through this yes. season now. This guy uh, is a good player, uh, throwing it and, and running it. And, you know, against Utah, it was limited in the amount they were going to try to extend it with him pulling the ball or moving even the pocket. So it's a little bit different. We'll kind of find out. Um, how how it's going in the game, uh, but he's not alone now. They they've got some good players. That O line's playing pretty good. They got some dynamic playmakers, uh, so it's a tough offense to defend. 
I looked at it in during the game, and I thought, gosh, he's really like on a stool back there behind the line, and he's just slinging the ball out early in the game because it wasn't even, you know, I went to tweet, and I tweeted, he, you know, they're using him on th- three-step drops, and he wasn't even taking three-step drops. He was taking the snap, maybe taking a step, and, and just delivering the ball, and they did that pretty successfully in the first half, but Utah made some adjustments. What did you see happening in the second half of that game? Yeah, you know, you watch Utah a little bit, and they weren't honoring the quarterback as much as they were early on and and chasing them down. Again, the Ducks do a good job, and let's face it, Utah's good on defense, and they're a good team out in general. Uh, but you could see in the second half, less honoring the quarterback, diving on the running back, understanding the ball was going to come out quick, playing some tight coverage, yeah. and that's why I do. I give that, you know, Oregon team credit. They battled that that game. They had it 14-3, and then they gave them seven points, and it turned into a real game. Um, but they were able to find a way to finish in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it was interesting in the second quarter. Or I think it was the second quarter. Oregon lines up Nick's in the shotgun, and he goes in motion towards their sideline. I'm sure you saw this on film. And it, it the play ended up with an illegal procedure on the play, but I noticed Utah didn't run with him. Like, it was like they knew he wasn't, like, you know, they were going to snap the ball to the running back, and Utah wasn't honoring Bo going in motion. And I thought that was really interesting. I don't know. Do you get that film? Even if there's an illegal procedure, do you get to see the play anyway? Oh, yeah, we get those snaps. I mean, we get the the game film, but we should get TV copy. I watched some decent amount of TV copy, and so you, you get it all. I will tell you from an offensive guy, I've told our defensive staff, all these teams are getting wildcat, and they're going to mm-hmm. snap it to the running back or whatever. So rarely do they actually throw the ball to the quarterback if he's split out a receiver. And I just say don't even cover the guy. <laughs> and so maybe Utah has some of the same thinking motion goes from the quarterback. Don't even mess with the guy. It's going direct <laughs> snap to the running back. They looked at him like he was crossing the street, and they were just watching a guy cross the street, and then they went right back to the running back in the backfield. Uh, Jonathan Smith is with us. Uh, how about you guys health-wise? Uh, Jack Coletto says he's trying to get on the field. He hopes to go. Uh, I know Jaden Grant missed the game last week. How, how do you feel in general about the health of your team? Yeah, I feel like uh, a lot of these guys that are that are banged up want to play in this game, and, and they're going to find a way to play in this game. I mean, both those guys you mentioned – genuinely banged up last week, but I, I wouldn't be shocked to see Coletto out there running around, Jaden Grant running around. A lot of the guys that we missed last week, I can I can see him playing. In the NFL, is Coletto going to play on the offensive side or defensive side? That's an interesting question. I'll be, uh, be honest. I think he's going to definitely play on teams, but some guys and scouts that come through here really like him in the, that fullback thinking, even the short yardage wildcat. Mm-hmm. See him tackle on defense and in special teams, see if they start him. You know, as that role player kind of linebacker that can contribute on teams, I can see him doing both. I, I look at a guy like Kyle Juszczyk with the 49ers, and I see a little bit of Coletto there. He's a good athlete, and Coletto's a little taller than him, but same physicality, same kind of smart player. I You know, I, I, so much of that, I think, depends on getting in the right system, though, doesn't it? It does. You know, the system piece. I do think what favors Jack is just how smart this guy is. And he knows both sides of the ball. He's a quick learner, understands what's trying to get accomplished schematically, offense, defense, special teams. I just know whoever ends up taking him in that the NFL is going to be really happy. All right. So for you guys, what are you playing for in this game? You know, can you drill down on that? Well, you know, definitely opportunity to win nine games. Uh, that's that's a, something that hadn't happened a lot. I think the long-term goal, too, if you can get nine, then you can have opportunity to get in ten. And this place hasn't seen 10 in a long time and hadn't done it very often. Um, again, they enjoy playing at home, and they've got some pride now in playing in Research Stadium. We've had some success, and we want to keep that going. Um, so there's a ton of motivation for these guys to play well, not just for like the win total, opportunity at home to finish the thing at home. We're celebrating almost you know 20 seniors that have given a lot to this program. Uh, so there's a lot to play for. How do you uh, – I watched last week as Oregon did this, and Dan Lanning's on the field. It's senior day, and then he's got to run in and coach. Like, how much of a distraction does that senior day thing become on game day? Yeah, you know, there's something to it now. I mean, I think it's very meaningful for those guys to be announced, come out, the crowd. Uh, I get to see them, and then they end up about at the 50-yard line with their family. Uh, but there's some emotions that come with that. And, you know, the early in the game, sometimes that, uh, I don't like the word distraction, but that can get them out of their, their game a little bit, how emotional they are. 
but it's important stuff. It's, it's part of college football that I think is great pageantry, that you celebrate these guys that have been around the place for a long time, done a ton for the program. And so we'll do the same. And then once that announcements and whatnot pregame's done, we'll get in that locker room and, and take the field. You, uh, if I got a time machine, I could go back to 2018. You, you were two and ten. And if I had told that guy, you know, towards the end of the season, hey, uh, stay the course here. Four years from now, you'll be playing for your ninth win at the end of the season. Um, you probably would have mapped that out, but man, there was some growth in there. There was some steps you took in year two and year three that were necessary. Yeah, there's no question that uh, there were steps needed to be taken. I'm still pretty proud of 2019. I mean, yeah, you're right on. First year, 18, we're 2-10. and 10, But that group in 2019 is the first down away from going to a bowl game, which hadn't happened for a while. And where we were at to go to a bowl game would have been pretty sweet. Uh, and then, you know, 20, COVID, all of that was tough. Um, and then obviously 21, getting over the hump for the bowl game. And we still felt like we had more to us in that season. Um, and then, you know, we're playing this year, and, and we've had a, a win or two more, had some really close wins and had some really close losses. Uh, that's how it goes. This thing's competitive. Uh, I've just enjoyed and appreciated being around these players, these coaches, and, and got an opportunity to do it again on Saturday. All right. So I, I've been talking to a lot of people about Pac-12 Coach of the Year awards and stuff, and and I'm wondering from a coach's perspective, I'm I'm hung up on how much – people should consider recruiting and the transfer portal when they're talking about coaching. Because when I think about coaching, I think about making the best of what you have, like who's on your roster. But there's certainly part of coaching is getting that roster together. How, where do you stand on that? Like the recruiting yeah. and the portal part. That's, that's all, it's all t- kind of together, you know, coaching, you know, the actual game and playing on Saturdays, but this, it's a huge, your roster is a, a factor and, and how well you're coaching is obviously the better player you have and, and what you're doing with the players you, you get. And so the recruiting end, uh, it, it, it's huge. And it's an interesting topic. I think about the coaching this year, too. There's so many guys doing a great job. I even think about this quarterback thing. Like we got the email a couple of days ago from the Pac-12. Okay, here's the nominees for, mm. you know, first team all league. And you get this list of quarterbacks. And there's so many big-time quarterbacks this year. Like, how do you decipher who's the best and voting for and things? So uh, there's a lot to think about. Yeah, I think it's a cool thing that we've got so many coaches, quarterbacks, and programs doing, doing great this year. Yeah, yeah, I look back at 2019. Justin Herbert was an honorable mention. Like, to me, and some of that was I think there were some guys that went, hey, we don't like Oregon. We're not going to vote for him. I'm sure there's some of that going on, right? But he was a third-teamer. On, on 2019, I think we're going to have another year like that where you have K- Caleb Williams and Cam Rising and Michael Penix and Cam Ward, and, you know, you got a bunch of guys that, you know, are really, really good. I know you can only vote for two of these guys. It's like first team and second team. That's all you get to vote for, two quarterbacks. And there's, I don't know, seven guys that you can make arguments for in this league. I, think, I mean, you didn't even mention Bo Nix. This guy's yeah. been been great all year and so and that's not just quarterback I mean there's multiple positions like that I look at us defensively playing as good as anybody in this league We've got a lot of guys that are contributing uh but are they the, the superstar to get that first first pick or second pick in the vote you know and again I, I get it we we vote all conferences meaningful and whatnot um but it's just not that that easy each each program having to make those votes. Do you wait until the Monday after the title game to cast your vote, or do you fill it out now and get it out of the way? Yeah, I think yeah, we're going to wait. Uh, you know, our process, we got the nominations, right? And so I kind of digest it, and then I really what I do is walk the hall, and I go talk to our coaches. And mm. so whatever, our secondary coach, hey, tell me about these receivers. And then you weigh, like, how well they played against us. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, and the Pac-12 has done better each year. It feels like of giving the information. They get the whole stats and what these guys yeah. have done, um, and so you can read up on that. Um, and so, but I do get in the take of the the coaching staff. You know, just the biggest impression is when we played that particular player, but also you see the body of work. And then there's two teams in the league we didn't play, and so you kind of digest all of that, and then we'll make a call after the championship game if there's a position or two that you know, we're uncertain on. 
I, I think this game's going to be really close. I picked you guys. I picked it 28-27. I think it's going to be in the 20s. I think points are going to be valuable. I think uh, your defense has been lights out, you know. And I actually think if there's a blowout in this game, I, I think I would lean to you guys because I think defensively you could give them some problems. How it, how proud are you of the fact that we're talking about your defense being formidable just a few years after it was not good? Like your defense yeah. was terrible early. I mean, I'm being nice. Yeah, there's no question. It feels quite a bit different uh, than a, a few few years ago. And that, and that group has done an awesome job. Starts with these players, Trent Bray and that defensive staff. Um, but, you know, each year is new, and this team is a little bit different, but there's no question we've been led by our defense this year, and we're going to need them again against an explosive offense. Um, uh, you know, I'm a little bit with you, too, on the lower side in regards to scoring in this game, but you never know how these games play out. Yeah. Um, we got to do a great job with the ball um, and play some defense, counting on our crowd to be a huge factor in it and win the thing in the fourth quarter. All right, Coach, I'll see you at the stadium. Have a great Thanksgiving, and uh, good luck to you this week. Yeah, you too. Happy Thanksgiving. There it is. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach. Uh, lot to talk about. not going to give me the game plan. He's not going to tell me what he's running on the first play of the game. He's not even going to tell us, uh, nor would Dan Lanning, who is healthy and re- who's really not. But I hope you get a feel for how he's approaching the game, how uh, I think both teams are a little anxious when it comes to this game, in a good way. I don't mean it like they're anxious and nervous in a way that it will be counterproductive. I think we got some good butterflies going in this in this game, uh, the Civil War football game. I'm going to call it the Civil War until they give it a name, uh, especially after the conversation I had with the professor, the expert on American history and Civil War history, who said, hey, uh, there are a lot of Civil Wars, and their their wars are not fought for just one reason. Uh, I want you to leave it here. Got the bald face truth. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. I just want to finish my thought from the last segment. We've just seen over the years a lot of altercations, giant Dodger fan altercations. There was an incident. I think it was last year where a giant fan at Dodger Stadium got jumped, got knocked out, hospitalized. I used to, I've been to giant Dodger games. I, I've just never seen it as, you know, keep your head on a swivel. And we're we're in that era of sports in, in some ways. And maybe I'm just being triggered by the whole incident that happened with the Michigan, Michigan State players. And we're talking about prosecutors. And I hate to see that prosecutors are wasting their time with college football teams trying to figure out like how they police them when they should probably be focused on the things they you know they need to be focused on we should leave them to do their jobs but we give them no choice when we've got players in the tunnel jumping other players i like you know i have prosecutor friends i want my prosecutor friends working on the stuff that they should be working on i don't want them involved with having to uh adjudicate beaver and duck fan violence that could potentially happen at Racer Stadium. And I'm telling you, like, you know, I've heard over the years, like, I've done this for a long time, and in in 25 or 30 years of covering college events and sporting events, I have over the years heard, you know, this fan base, fill in the blank, is terrific. I went down to one of their games uh, I walked through the parking lot, and I was wearing my team's jersey or a T-shirt, and I was treated warmly by people who, you know, they may have there may have been some good-natured ribbing, but you know they were offering them, uh, you know, hey, have a have a hot dog at the tailgate, here's a beer, hang out with us, play some cornhole, and man, I felt welcome. I've heard that over the years, especially when uh, in the early part of the year when I go to cover games like Georgia playing at Oregon or Oregon State playing Louisville or LSU or other teams they played over the years. Like, I, I will walk around a little bit and kind of see the hospitality that's on display. And I'm often impressed with other fan bases. I, I wonder how the Oregon and Oregon State fan bases and the Pac-12 fan bases treat opposing fans. Do they treat them well? Do you go out of your way to welcome them? 
Do you go? Do you view yourself as an ambassador and a representative of the university and the football program? You should, because I'll tell you what happens. It's no different than some celebrity being on an airplane who's going. You know what? Somebody comes up to me. I'm going to be nice to him because that person's going to tell ten other people, and you know everybody's watching because you're a celebrity. Uh, and and so I think you as a football fan have to understand the role you play in the image of your own program, your fan base. And we see it all the time when, when and usually when things go awry, you know, the coach will grab the microphone at a basketball game and say, hey, we don't do that here. Stop throwing stuff. We don't treat opposing players that way. I've seen that stuff. But I'm here as a public service announcement in front of this rivalry game at Research Stadium. I think the vast majority of Beaver fans and Duck fans go into these rivalry games going, I really want my team to win. I really want to have a good time. You shouldn't go in going, I am like hunting for the opposing team's fans, or I'm going to go into that stadium and cause a problem and be an idiot, uh, wearing opposing colors and cause an incident, looking for trouble, so to speak. So what I want to see happen in this game, like I want, to, I think it's going to be a great game. I think, in, in a, you know, I told, I told Oregon coach Dan Lanning this last night. I told him, I'm going to share this with you, and I don't think he'd mind me sharing what I said last night. Um, I, I told him I feel like with Dan Lanning at Oregon and Jonathan Smith at Oregon State, I feel like the programs right now are in the hands of coaches who know what they're doing, and I cannot wait to see what Lanning does with the Oregon program in the next five or six years, and I, cannot, I am so interested in what Jonathan Smith is going to do in the next five or six years. And these two guys, I think, have, the ch have a chance to be a better one-two punch than any one-two punch in Oregon, Oregon State history. That includes the Rich Brooks era, where you looked over at Oregon State and you weren't sure you were gonna, what you were going to get. And it includes the Mike Riley era at Oregon State, where you looked over at Oregon and, man, there was Chip Mike Bilotti and then Chip Kelly. I think this could be better than that. I think Bilotti... And, and then Chip Kelly and Mike Riley, really the Chip Kelly, Mike Riley era of about 2008, 2009, may have been the height where we had both programs in position in a given year to compete for a Rose Bowl. That was probably the peak when you talk about the one-two punch. I think right now we're on the cusp of it with Jonathan Smith at Oregon State knocking on the door for nine wins. And Dan Lanning trying to get win number 10. We're right there. Like one of these guys has a chance on Saturday to win his way into the conference championship game. And the other guy, what is he going to do next year? Because Jonathan Smith told us on Pac-12 Media Day, I want to go to Vegas. I, it sounded ridiculous. Steven, you were there when he said it. It sounded ridiculous, a little bit ridiculous. And now, like... I really believe they could get to the conference championship next season. They could get to Vegas, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're playing Oregon. Yeah, I couldn't believe he said it. You know, not many people are going to go out and say we that we think we should win. He said we should think we should win every game because of our talent, not because you know just of luck. Like he thinks that they are as talented as any team in the conference, and they've proven out to be that this season and moving forward. Look, they got a freshman quarterback, Bill Branson, freshman running back, Damian Martinez. It's only going to get better from this point on. So, like, this could be you know. And with USC, USC, UCLA leaving the conference, Oregon, Oregon State, they're going to be top four teams in the conference year in, year out, it seems like, for the next couple of years. And I think next year, I mean, it's not unthinkable to me. Like, I know it would sound ridiculous. Like, I think we could get a situation. We're not that far away this year. Had Oregon State beat USC instead of losing 17-14 at home, much different equation on Saturday's game. Like, uh, we'll be able to unwind it at the end of the season, but we could have potentially been looking – at you know a uh, uh, you know a situation where Oregon and Oregon State could both they could play a Civil War football game and then turn around and play a rematch in Vegas for the conference championship because there are no divisions anymore. So I think there's a real shot here that we're knocking on something special when it comes to these two guys. Uh, you know what do you see? Which one of them has to do more work this off season? I think it's Oregon State still, and the reason I say that is. I'm still not sold Uncle Branson of being the guy, um, you know, maybe try to find another quarterback in the transfer portal. Maybe not. He might be it. I don't know. I just think right now 
Oregon State, uh, even if they get this win on Saturday, big win, obviously, but they still have a couple more steps they need to take. They need to win a game at Autzen Stadium because the last few that they've won have all been at Reese's Stadium. Can they win that humongous game on the road? They lost at Washington in a really big-time game, and then you know they haven't had another chance. So it would have to go into next season. So I think Oregon State has a little more to build for, but I think they're really close. I also think that you know he's going to lose some senior leadership this year. This team is one of the advantages I think that Oregon State has had is they have uh, – they have some guys like Jack Coletto who have been in the program. And they've got some players that, you know, have, uh, like Jaden Grant, who have been there not just for four or five or six years, but who have been there a whole bunch of time. And so I think there's a real chance that, you know, you're looking at um, a Jonathan Smith program that may have to reload a little bit, but... I like the fact that they got a freshman running back in Damian Martinez. They have to keep him. They have to use their collective. They have to keep him. They're going to have to focus on retention as they promised they would. He's got to find a quarterback. But all the questions we had about the defensive side of the ball, Trent Bray has answered some questions. Nobody's worried about Oregon State's defense, and that is a big difference from a year ago. Hey, John, i got a question for you. Do you think Trent Bray is the best coordinator in the Pac-12? I think that he should, like, it was really interesting because I, I was asking about Coach of the Year. I had uh, Nick Aliotti, who everyone knows, and I don't think he'd be uh, embarrassed for me to say this. Uh, he texted me at the beginning of the show when I was talking about the coordinator, or the coaches of the year, and he says, Trent Bray is my vote. And, you, know, I, you know, he was only being half serious, but, he, you know, it's true. Trent Bray has just done a fantastic job, and he's not, he's not a finalist for the Broyles Award. He should be, um, you know. Kenny Dillingham at Oregon got in there, but it's probably because when you look at the finalists for the for the Broyles Award, it's all teams that are that were sniffing around the playoff. They want to give it to somebody who's in the playoff. It's meant to reward a high-profile assistant. But Trent Bray has given Jonathan Smith the defense that he needs to win. Now they need a quarterback, and I'll be really disappointed if Oregon State finds itself again piecemealing together quarterbacks next season. They got it. They have to. They have to find an answer there. Yeah, that matchup between Kenny Dillingham and Trent Bray as those coordinators, man, that is a good matchup between two young coaches that have really, you know, not. I don't know if they've overachieved, but they've done better than I think most of us thought they would. Yeah, and yesterday on the show, it was interesting because I, I felt like we got our best interview yet with Jack Coletto yesterday. And he was talking, you know, I was asking him about sort of the philosophy of Bray's defense and you know what, as a linebacker, I know when the linebackers are unblocked and they're making tackles that the big guys up front are doing a really good job of, uh, you know, causing disruption, uh, eating up double teams, eating up blockers at the point of attack, and they just leave, you know, whether it's Oregon or Oregon State. If Noah Sewell's running free, tackling guys with nobody, no guard, no tackle trying to block him, you know that Oregon's defensive tackles are doing a great job up front. The same goes for Oregon State. But Coletto said something. He goes, you know, the job of those guys up front is not just to uh, absorb a bunch of blockers. It's they are they are trying to defeat the blockers and cause disruption. And that, you know, as you watch Oregon State play, that's what Oregon State's defense has done really well is those guys up front have been very disruptive. And you find running backs who are looking for holes having to move laterally having to move backwards, maybe having to sidestep somebody, and just that extra step gives that linebacker and the strong safety and everybody else an opportunity to come up and absolutely kill and blow up a running play. So um, Oregon State has been really good against the run. Oregon State defensive backs are very experienced. And the question becomes, will Jaden Grant play? Jaden Grant was out last week. Um, you know, he – Thinks he's going to be available this week. That's a key one for me. If you see number three out there in the secondary, then you know Oregon State's you know skating at full strength, so to speak. But I think it's a great matchup. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's Kenny Dillingham's got to MacGyver it. He he did a great job MacGyvering it last week with Bo Nix. He's going to have to MacGyver it again against Oregon State. And you could feel in the second half, Oregon in the second half kind of ran out of answers. You know, Bo Nix couldn't run the ball. Utah was going hey, he's just throwing short passes. So Utah came up, and the interception 
that happened, uh, you know, in the second half was by virtue of the fact that, you know, that Utah was just not respecting anything beyond about 10 or 15 yards downfield. They were jumping everything. And, and it, it was evident to me that Oregon was reaching a little bit, and we all saw it. They ran the trick play. They bring in the backup quarterback, Ty Thompson, He's relatively, you know, inexperienced with ga- as far as game action when, with the game on the line. Oregon's up a couple scores in the game, and so they feel comfortable. They bring him in. But I felt it was a mistake by Dillingham to run the trick play. And you already had a guy who had, sh- who had shaky confidence. And now you're running a play that is not a normal football play. And, and you know, running backs and receivers who are taking pitches – often are, you know, looking around, their eyes are up, they're not thinking what they're supposed to be, and so the ball ends up on the ground, Utah picks it up, gets an easy seven points. I thought that was a loss in a number of ways for Oregon because, first of all, it told me that they didn't feel like they could execute their regular offense and move the ball in that situation. They were trying to out-gimmick Utah, and they blew it. They botched the play. Second thing was um, they didn't trust Ty Thompson to run a normal football play. They had him run a gimmick play, and and I and I think it was a real risk with so much downside because of where they were on the field, the situation they were in, and oh by the way, it went south. And I watched Ty Thompson's body language when he went to the sideline, and he wasn't like visibly head down distraught over it, but I just didn't like the the skip in his step as he was you know going to the sideline after giving up a seven point score the other way. I just think it was a misfire. And I was like, what are they thinking in that situation? But I tell you what they were thinking. They were thinking, hey, we don't have anything else on offense. Like, we cannot line up because Utah was stuffing the run game then by then in the second half. Bo Nix wasn't able to get a whole bunch because of the way they were playing. And so all Oregon had was an occasional shot down the field or a trick play, and they were hanging on for dear life. They're going to have to have more than that this week. Bo Nix has got to be able to attack the line of scrimmage with his feet. If he can't do that, this is going to be a very low-scoring game. This game could be in the 20s and the low 20s. If Bo Nix can't run, Oregon can win a game 24-21, 21-20. Oregon can win that kind of game, 20-17. to They did it last week. That's, again, going to be the kind of game they try to play if Bo Nix can't move. If he can move, it opens up some things, and then they, have, they force Oregon. You know, what you want to do is you want to force Oregon State's offense to have to throw the ball. You want to get them in a situation where they're trying to match you seven for seven because Oregon State doesn't want to play that way. Oregon State wants to control the ball. They want to choke you out on defense, and they want to keep this game, you know, 27-24, 24-21. That's the game they want to play. They don't want to play up in the 30s against Oregon. And so keep an eye kind of on the first half and how that goes. If this is like a 10-7 game late in the second quarter, it's the kind of game Oregon State wants to play, 14-10, 10-7. You know, 17-10 at halftime would be about as high, much as they want to see. Um, if it starts to get out of control a little bit with, you know, if it's if it's 21-20 at halftime, that's not Oregon State's game because it's not Ben Goldbrinson's game to go out and do that and, and try to score like that. So keep an eye on it. I think it's going to be a great game. But if you're an Oregon State fan, be hospitable. See a Duck fan. Thank them for being here. It's a Thanksgiving week. Thank them for coming to your stadium. And if you're a Duck fan and you're going into Research Stadium, don't act like an idiot. Act like a house guest because you are one. Leave it here. you got the BFT statewide. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I asked Anna as she popped into the studio. First of all, you came in and you were like, oh, it's so hot in here. It's like a sauna. Well. What are you doing? Because it's it's rivalry week. <laughs> you got to turn the heat up. How can you work in these conditions? I didn't notice. You know, I didn't notice it was hot. <laughs> I'm locked You're in. You're like a, a frog being boiled. <laughs> They don't notice either (laughs) until you pass out from dehydration. It's like the turkey. (laughs) Turkey's like, what's going on? It's getting warm in here. (laughs) A frog. you on the floor. What happened? A frog being boiled. (laughs) Yeah, that's not an image that would have come to my mind. (laughs) Well, that's, I mean, they say, they say, 
Uh, they say that's what happens, right? If you put them in water initially that's cooler, and then you gradually turn up the heat, supposedly they, they just, don't know they're being cooked. They don't know they're dying. I don't know. That's horrible. I, I guess know. I, I that guess you horrible. could. You probably just feel better, you know, if you know that. <laughs> no, they're well aware, Anna. They're screaming. They're screaming the whole time the water's <laughs> boiling around them, but they they don't scream like people. So that's the only... I don't know. I've never boiled frogs in my life. So, for the record, oh, that's just not something I've done yet. For crying out yet. loud. Yet. Yet? Uh, yeah. Is this something that's... Do I know not know something about Thanksgiving that's about to happen? Yeah. We're going to have a French Thanksgiving. There you go. Do French people, or is it really a frog thing? That's their thing? Frogs frog and legs. snails and stuff? Well, yeah, right? They do that at Thanksgiving? No. I don't... They, the frog... I don't know. Do the, you think the French celebrate Thanksgiving? I don't know. <laughs> wow. What, what? Yeah. I, was showing, I, I was locked in. When I was in elementary school, I wasn't thinking about history and world history. I was, I was looking at my lunch pail and the 28 NFL helmets that were on it at the time. <laughs> 28 helmets. The last time I checked, the French do not celebrate Do they have their version of Thanksgiving? Um, do we have a French person who's listening to this show that can confirm or deny? Peter, wow. do you know? Do the French have a version of Thanksgiving? I do not know. Well, I'm looking it up. Uh, you know, there's French-inspired Thanksgiving on Google. Uh-huh. So there you go. French-inspired Thanksgiving? Does Fr do, do they celebrate Thanksgiving in France? <laughs> no. Christmas, they celebrate Christmas. Well, yeah. But, yeah, you know. So according yeah. to this, it says Thanksgiving is a national holiday celebrated on various states in the United States, Canada, Grenada, 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 uh, Grenada. Yeah. <laughs> Saint Louisa, and L Liberia. Yeah, old Liberia. They they do what? <laughs> we got to go to old Liberia. I want to know what a Liberian <laughs> Thanksgiving looks like. Well, I know what a Liberian was when I was growing up. That was the lady who checked the books in and out. Oh so oh let's go there. All right, all right. Let's talk about brining the turkey. Let's talk about brining the yeah. turkey. Changing the subject. Oh, Peter, are you spatchcocking your turkey again this year? You better believe. I'm so oh glad you're God. here today. The turkey has been spatchcocked. Oh. It has been sitting in brine for about 28 hours. Oh, yeah, we're good to go, Wait, baby. wait, 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 wait. Back up because... In my Google search history, uh, I actually have how long to brine a turkey, and you can over-brine a turkey. The the key is if you keep it refrigerated, it'll slow down kind of the enzyme. So, like, if you're brining it at room temperature, you don't want to give it a crazy long time. Uh -huh. uh, but if you're refrigerating it, especially, like, the turkey just thawed out, it's still yeah. relatively frozen. We're, we're in good shape. Okay. Okay. But you're right. You're right. You can you can over brine or over marinate meat. I thought of you yesterday because when I went <laughs> to go buy my brining bags, they had some spatchcocking tools, and I'll never see that and not think of you. I walked. <laughs> I appreciate that. I I walked in yesterday <laughs> afternoon uh, from the station, and Kim had this turkey splayed out on the counter. She's trying to break the breastbone. It was like she was given a bird CPR. I mean, full <laughs> just torque, just. Hey, what's Bang. going on in here? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> she'd be great at a murder scene, is what you're saying. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, she'd be a great accomplice. Spatchcocking. <laughs> so for people who don't know what spatchcocking is, is it essentially you're splaying the turkey, you're breaking the breastbone and pressing down on it and then it kind of does the splits yeah exactly so basically you you cut the the <laughs> spine out from the back and oh, you that's... break the best breastbone so essentially think of a whole turkey but you're almost unfolding the turkey so the, all of the skin is exposed a 12 pound bird it only takes believe it or not people won't believe me it takes about an hour and 25 minutes wow. it is spectacular John, you're shaking your head. You know the bird's already dead. Well, when he was saying, he you was shake, talking about it. He's over here shaking his head like tis I was tis thinking game. Netflix is going to make a documentary about spatchcocking <laughs> and talk to all the Nate Peter's neighbors. Well, yeah. he seemed normal. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> well, the thing is, in all of the more traditional Thanksgiving, like Norman Rockwell, Rockwell type, type photos, you don't see the turkey spatchcocked. 
you know, you see the full rounded turkey. Yeah, it, it's true. But uh, this method, uh, yeah. and especially with the brine, like the white meat is as juicy as, as any dark meat, any thigh mm-hmm. you've ever had. It's it's spectacular. Anna, I'm going to send you a picture tomorrow afternoon. Should right. we should we think about this? It's not too late Let's, for us. Or, you mean a spatchcock, one of those two birds you bought? One of the two. You bought two turkeys. We, you're showing off, aren't you? There's well, a shortage of turkeys and you're taking two. <laughs> We, you flex. know, that's a flex. Yeah. Right there. Well, we're we're kind of a dark meat family, yeah. and so I don't like people to fight over the legs. You know. Yeah. So I buy two smaller ten pound birds so that there's more dark meat. I don't know. Those are barely turkeys if they're ten pounds. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like a buff chicken. Yeah. <laughs> chicken on steroids. Chicken's oh wait, been, most of them are working out. Um, okay, so brining. Where are we in this process? Uh, they're brining currently, and I didn't even buy it. You'd be so proud of me. I've not not talked to you today. Yeah. Um, I didn't even buy, like, a brining kit. I just improvised. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to need to hear more about this. What what is the turkey currently in? in? Yeah. It's sitting in apple juice. They're, they're, they, they're sitting in apple juice and rosemary and yeah. black peppercorn. Yeah, but what, are, what are kind of container are you using? The brining bag. Okay, but you, you said you didn't attention. buy. You said you didn't buy anything. You bought a brining bag. I bought. Yeah, I did. Okay. I said that earlier. Okay, but then you said you. I would be proud of you. Yeah. And no, I went I to. I didn't buy like the spice kit. Like I. I'm... I thought you were using like the kids' plastic swimming pool <laughs> out in the yard or something <laughs> to put them in. So no spices used. Well, no, I just use spices from our own, you know, spice. Made your own, Brian. Yeah, yeah. M-Y-O-B. Yeah. All right. So uh, what are they in? They're in apple? What? Yeah, they're in apple juice and some rosemary and black peppercorn and kosher salt. What do you guys think of garlic? I threw some garlic in there. I don't Always. Know. Oh, okay, okay. And then... Uh, are you just guessing with this, Brian? It was, yeah. I totally just Sounds like you're guessing. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you're going, yeah. oh, I like the Titans to win the yeah. Super Bowl. Some time, <laughs> you know? TH. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And uh, that's about it. I'm really proud of you. What you've, am I missing? You've come a long way. Have I, though? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, early in our Thanksgivings, you had no idea what we were doing. Yeah. Like, you yeah. didn't know I. You didn't know what turkey stuffing, you know, you didn't. this was all foreign to you. <laughs> in your upbringing, did you guys yeah. celebrate Thanksgiving? We did, but... Uh, I mean, really only a couple times with the turkey. It was usually fresh seafood or something. Was that a Asian culture thing? Like they that your yeah. parents came over and went, Hey, everybody's getting together but they didn't they never really grasped it or what happened? Yeah, I mean it's like they got the concept that, hey, you know, everybody's off for the holidays so we should have a special meal of sorts but ours did not look like, you know, turkey stuffing, mashed potatoes. It was like you know, in Asian culture, a lot of times you celebrate special occasions with live seafood. That's what you do. And so it's Dan, lobster or Dungeness crab or... Dan Lanning talked about, he said that he he was he does the same thing. Like they do, they don't do traditional turkey. Mm-hmm. And his, his wife, uh, I think, is half Asian. Mm-hmm. And so let me ask you this, because this came up at Christmas time. As a kid, did your parents, the, if you got a present... F- from them at Christmas time because this is another tradition. I think it's cultural. Like, how did they understand Christmas? Because they came from Taiwan to the U.S. Right, and they they Christmas didn't celebrate Christmas. Traditionally, was not big. No, it wasn't a big Christmas. deal. No, it wasn't. No. And it's huge here. Huge here. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, let's say, uh, you know, as a kid, you got a present. Yeah. Uh, I would. I mean, they eventually caught on that. You know, uh, Christmas usually came with presents, but they they often didn't like quite know how to wrap it yeah like i remember my mom wrapping one of my presents in a suitcase once (laughs) which is nowadays like very sustainable that's pretty reusable but like but she's she didn't really understand the concept of like wrapping paper why would you and she's like well i'm gonna give you this present i'm gonna put it in something so it's obscured (laughs) and then you're just gonna unzip the suitcase and voila here's your present we should try that with our kids this year just put out three or four suitcases, and they'll be like, what's going on here? Yeah, Where's your presents? Get out of town. <laughs> you know, take what's inside and leave. No. Uh, all right, so this is going to be really exciting. Uh, coming back, we're going to talk about a little bit more about what we're thankful for in sports. Plus, I want you to start thinking about this, guys. Uh, let's just say I say to you, somebody asked me this today. He said, 
what's your ideal Thanksgiving plate? And I was like, what do you mean? And they go, ideally, what's on the plate? I had a different answer than people, uh, I think, expected. But I want you to think about what's on your ideal plate. Plus, coming back, we'll talk about the NFL games coming up on Thanksgiving. And Jonathan Smith will be joining us at 530. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Cool thing for our listeners who uh, may be tuning in to some of the World Cup matches, John Strong, the voice of American soccer, friend of this show, who got his start on this radio show uh, after he graduated from the University of Oregon. He's been uh, on the call there for the World Cup. And uh, I just tweeted, Dana, you, I saw you tweeted, you know, you saw his tweet about the folder he carries. You know, he carries this folder that is a that he got on a tour of the Rose Garden Arena with his student newspaper class when he was a sophomore in high school. It is a, uh, a Blazers folder that has like a uh, leather basketball cover on it. He carries it with him for every broadcast he's ever done. And he got to call um, the U.S. match in the World Cup uh, just, uh, what, a couple of days ago. Really proud of that kid. Kid? Can I call him a kid? <laughs> He'll always be a kid to us. But I, I just remember the first time he came on the show, and he opened the mic. And I thought to myself, oh, he's Bob Costas. Like, he was that smooth and that good and not trying to duplicate or replicate anybody else. And the more I worked with him, the more I realized this, he, he, is, uh, he is on his way. Like, he was on uh, – he, he had some jet fuel behind him. So it was really cool to see – you know, John Strong uh, emerge as the voice of American soccer. Yeah, you know, a friend of mine um, saw the tweet, and uh, my friend was in broadcasting and is now teaching journalism to high school students, and he said that he actually used John Strong's career as a life lesson in class. He said it was like the old chase your dreams, work relentlessly, start start small, aim high, grow and evolve, do your best, do what you love lesson. You know, there's a lot of us, I think, in the metro area that are very proud of him because we've seen him evolve, you know, from calling games in high school to where he's at now, which is crazy. He was at Lake Oswego High School calling games, and he went to the University of Oregon as a student broadcaster. Graduated from Oregon, he had dabbled in different radio stations, but he ended up, by uh, some stroke of luck for me, as the very first producer and sat in the seat that uh, Stephen is in today uh, on the show in the infancy of the show. And I will often text him because I can't remember the exact date we started the show. <laughs> and I'll say, hey, what was our first day? He'll and then he'll, he knows it right off the top of his head. Uh, but here, here he is calling some stuff. Uh, he, went on, he, he left the show and he went to work for the Timbers. And then the Timbers were so stupid. The Timbers had him as their play-by-play broadcaster. And guess what? I, get, this is a little-known fact. Guess who negotiated his very first deal with the Timbers? <laughs> Yours truly. Yeah. Me. It was a little bit like the scene with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. You know, Ben Affleck went in and negotiated for Matt Damon. You know, uh, you know, my client would be uh, better off if he had. It was a little bit like that scene. I'll never forget the meeting I had with the Timbers, and I said, uh, you know, they were going to pay him what they were going to pay him, uh-huh. and they were kind of like, that's all we're going to pay him. Right. So I was negotiating for fringe benefits. This is before he had a real agent. <laughs> I was going, well, you know, he would like he he would feel better about this deal if he had some season tickets. So they gave him two season tickets. I think he retains those tickets today. But, I think he does. Yeah, but uh, it was just silly. And then he fired me, and he got a real agent. And then he went on to, uh, you know, obviously Fox and whatever else he's done, and he's just done really well for himself. But for people who don't know, if you're listening to Fox in the World Cup, and even if it's not the U.S. game, you may be hearing the voice of American soccer. There go Costa running at it. Pepe got knocked to the face. He goes down. We're playing on right now. Diego Costa still a chance. Diego Costa. There he is calling the Olympics 
And how about this? How about this one when Croatia tied England in the second half? Uh, this was a couple few years ago. Space and time to get this cross in. Perisic charging in! Croatia's tied the game! Ivan Perisic! All square in the semifinal! There it is, John Strong on the call. Really <laughs> insanely proud of that guy. I get goosebumps. Me too. <laughs> talking about you know what's incredible about him is that he does so much prep and you know a a good play-by-play announcer does that like they're they're not just winging it as they go into the game he really takes extensive notes on each of the players uh before he goes to call maybe too much maybe (laughs) overdoes overdoes it i've seen his notes they're pretty crazy (laughs) i know uh I, i put together this montage of john strong when he left the show 11 years ago, okay? Mm-hmm. He left. He was leaving the show to go off on his career, but he had been calling some soccer games. All the way through towards Cooper. It's a penalty. Referee Jeff Gamble points to the spot as Cooper was hauled down. And here's the Timbers' chance in the 64th minute. The 26-year-old from Dallas, the team leading three goals. Can he make it four? Can he send the Timbers Army into their celebrations. Saved! Flag is up, flag is up. Goalkeeper Hamid came off his line. It's got to be retaken, the penalty. Another save, and again, the flag is up. It's going to be retaken a second time. Unbelievable. Jack Jusper has two goals this year, trying to make it three. There you go. Bruner at 44 for the back line. Again, the short free kick. To the wing for Khalifa Hassan. To get the run inside, Kenny Cooper scored! Henri from the pair. Henri again has scored, and it's 3 2. Oh, goodness gracious. That's his first professional goal, Sunni Sot. Moni, DK, and the money! It's for his serve. Nielsen is up, only a punch. It falls for Darlington Nagby. Oh, it's absolutely brilliant, and the Timbers are right back in Literally, the hair on my arms is standing up, and I don't know if it's because I know the kid or not, but if you're watching the World Cup broadcasts on Fox, you're getting John Strong. Uh, he's calling uh, a whole bunch of games in the uh, early rounds here of the World Cup, the qualifying rounds. Leave it here. we got more on the NFL games and your Thanksgiving coming up. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. I guess uh, today's Thanksgiving Eve. Yeah. Why don't we uh, Why don't we have a tradition like, you know, people on Christmas Eve they have traditions. Why Why are there no Thanksgiving Eve traditions? One bite of mashed potatoes. Yeah, I don't know. Something. Uh, you know, that we should come up with a tradition. I'm a tradition-oriented person. Uh, I want to go around the room. What is your perfect Thanksgiving or your ideal Thanksgiving? Anna, you don't like the word perfect. I hate the word perfect. Why? Tell the people why you don't like perfect. Uh. Well, I think perfectionism is a little bit of an illness in our society. I worry about it, especially for young people. Um, I don't want our girls growing up thinking that they have to be perfect, look perfect, uh, you know, work perfect. And it, I, I just, I don't know, it's, it's, it goes deep for me, but I think it leads to a lot of anxiety and depression, especially in social media and the filters that kids use and, and all the things. There you go. So we, I try to get our household to. Not so I don't have to be perfect. No, I can be. I can just fumble around. You I know. Can tell well, you, John, you're not perfect. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, dare <Where> you? <laughs> Sorry, Bob. We strive. We strive. We do our best. We celebrate effort. I was two and four in my Pac-12 picks last week exactly. <laughs> against I mean, the spread. No, we've had bad weeks. Yep, bad week last week. All right, uh, I want to go around the room though. Stephen, you're going to lead us off. Give us your ideal Thanksgiving. What does it include, start to finish? Yeah, so ideal for me is uh, hanging out with the family. And what we do always is we always take our family picture on Thanksgiving, and then that's our like our Christmas card picture. So that's always one thing I look forward to, uh, just with the family. I, I like to send out Christmas cards now that I'm an adult. I think that's pretty fun. Uh, the other thing is 
at my wife's parents' house. So her dad is a great cook, but this is he he's a very interesting cook as well. He has cooked me so many weird meals and they either are really good, like he made the best street tacos I've ever had, mm. but I have also had food that was absolutely horrendous from him. <laughs> like the scale is so big and there was one year <laughs> That he made this gravy, and it's the legendary gravy. It is. It was the best thing we've ever had. We had one friend who was literally drinking it out of the, uh, the little <laughs> gravy train. Oh yeah. And it's never been that that way again. He he's a little you know he's a little crazy. He's old. He's uh you know he's off the wall. So he doesn't remember. He just throws things in a, like in a pot and then figures one it out. One pot patty. Yeah. And so <laughs> every year we talk about that gravy, and so I always look forward to it. And I hope this is the year, but I have no, no, you know, I'm not confident about it. But this is the one gravy, man. It's got to come back at some point in my life. All right. I love that. Um, Peter, give us your ideal Thanksgiving. Getting some of that gravy. What was in that? He Methadone or something? We, yeah. we asked him. Cracked. He has no idea what he put in it. He doesn't remember. <laughs> Nobody knows anything. <laughs> That's beautiful, man. I Curses. love it. That's terrible. It was a, it was a true happening. It was an event. It was. Uh, my my ideal Thanksgiving is. Uh, I mean, you got to have football on the TV, but I'm never watching it closely. You know what I mean? I just need to know it's there. It's sort of like a like a warm blanket mm. on the day, just having it on the background. Uh, I love being in the kitchen. I love being in the kitchen every day, but especially on Thanksgiving, you get to shine. Uh, one thing I've done the last few years that I'm never doing again. I have not done the huge family gathering we've it's kim myself and my eight-year-old and that is how i love it it's mellow it's orderly we still make everything we make the normal quantity so we have like four days worth of leftovers uh but it's just the people that are closest to me so you have family you know you tell them what you appreciate about them what they appreciate about you and uh yeah a lot of stuffing a lot of gravy a lot of spatch cocked turkey and uh i'm in great shape <laughs> and i follow that Oh, wow. Um, uh, I really enjoy watching the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Uh, mm. I'm such a parade nerd. Um, yeah. And so, and if there's a local parade and the weather doesn't suck, you know, it's kind of nice to try and hit a local parade. I know. Um, and then really just, like, I, I don't know, people can relate to this. It gets harder and harder uh, as the years go by to try to get everybody together as kids get older and they have other interests and things like that. So honestly, anytime that we can have the whole family together in one place, uh, that's really ideal for me. I kind of shoot low <laughs> now. What's on your plate at, at Thanksgiving dinner? Uh, well, turkey. I'm not a ham on Thanksgiving no, person. No, you're a turkey person. Very much a turkey person. Um, stuffing, mashed potatoes. I can do with or without yams. A little bit of cranberry sauce. I actually prefer the canned. Mm. And uh, everything covered in gravy. There you go. Maybe maybe the gravy that was just aforementioned. That, wanna, that sounds like great yeah. gravy. I was gonna ask Anna and Peter what your uh, like what your dessert choices are because pumpkin pie is the big one. But I'm not a big pumpkin pie fan, so I want like a berry pie. Mm. Mm. I, I'm I'm with you. Uh, pecan pie is a winner yep. as well. And, uh, yep. you know, similar to pumpkin, but you can go sweet potato pie as well. Mm -hmm. I like the pecan pie. Yeah, we have both. Yeah. Pecan and winner. We do. And pumpkin. Good yeah. for pecan us. Pecan or pecan? Uh, yeah, Whatever you tomato. want it to be. Whatever baby. it is, put it in front of me. Uh, gravy or gravy? Um, let me, uh, let me give mine. My, my ideal Thanksgiving is more about the pace of the day. Uh, I need a cup of coffee in the morning. I don't mind the parade being on or a dog show. So sometimes oh, right. there's a dog show on, right. parade being on, that's okay. Um, I'm like Peter, the football does go on. If it's a good game, like I was looking at the NFL games for Thursday, it's Buffalo-Detroit at 9.30 in the morning. Then it's the New York Giants and the Dallas Cowboys at 1.30. And then the nightcap is the Patriots and the Vikings. Uh, I think all three games will be compelling. I think that's good to have them on. But for me, it's more just about the pace of the day being sort of mellow like we spend so much time rushing 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 and i know the 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 thanks part of thanksgiving gets lost but for me if we could just slow down a little bit on this thursday thanksgiving thing um and just kind of soak up the day that to me that feels like a win and so i and then my grandfather i have a little tradition that's my tradition me and my brother shares it as well because i j often will get a text from him my grandfather on Thanksgiving used to pour himself a highball. He would get a glass of ice, 
He would pour some Crown Royal in the glass. He would put, you know, some Sprite or something into the glass. And he would, about 2 p.m. as the football was going on or whatnot, he'd have him pour himself a drink. So my brother will often send me just a photo of that drink sitting on the counter, like he's just poured for himself. And so we do that kind of back and forth. So which means I'm going to have a nap in that afternoon if I'm <laughs> drinking the highball. But on my plate, uh, I, somebody asked me this earlier today, and I had a weird answer because I generally don't end up with what I want on my plate. Why? I'm because I'm not a selfish person. And you mentioned earlier we're kind of a dark meat household, and I grew up that way. Like my parents, my sister, they all like dark meat. I never got to have dark meat, Aww. so I just had. I took what was left, and so people always say, "Do you like white meat or dark meat?" I, I like white meat because that's what I've always had because everybody else likes the dark meat. Well, you're getting so, a leg this year, though. No, I don't need a leg. I'm just saying it's not important to me. It's not like a high-priority item to me it's because done. that's – no, I don't need a leg. But I'm just saying, yeah, you have two turkeys. You have four legs. I Come know. on. So <laughs> good thing I didn't say eight. Um, <laughs> but it's – to me, it's more about the gravy, stuffing, mashed potatoes, turkey, all being on the plate, right? That's That's what it's about, okay? John's in Beaverton. John's got something to add. Go ahead, John. So, John, you're an Italian. I'm an Italian. My memory is all about the night before Thanksgiving. My family would travel from Portland to Boise, where my father's eldest sister was. And the evening meal on the night that we arrived was homemade gnocchi mm. with a skirt steak in an Italian sauce that she would do from scratch. And I will tell you, if I could have had that meal again on Thanksgiving Day, I would have that every every year, forever and ever. But now, like you, my family's all a dark meat group, so I always got to use to take the wings. That's the thing that I want on my plate because they get the. the I, I like the crispiness of the skin and everything else. Do, are you a gnocchi guy? Yep, and. And I've we've made it, and my grandmother has a recipe that she has passed down, and it is uh, absolutely, when it is done right, melted your mouth good. And, Anna, we've done that. We've usually done it around Christmas, Christmas time. time. Yeah, that's a Christmas thing Because in our house it was a Christmas, like Christmas Eve or maybe the week of Christmas thing that my grandmother would do. And so that's kind of the tradition that we have done. But, yes, um, and, you know, every, uh, every uh, culture – has got the, a gnocchi or a dumpling or a ravioli or uh, some kind of, uh, you know, stuffed goodness. Well, and it's funny to watch you try to actually shoot for perfection on that because yeah. you'll do like three or four rounds just to try and replicate what your grandma Because my make. grandmothers were so light, they would melt in your mouth. And if you don't do it right, they come out a little too heavy. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I'd take multiple shots at it. Leave it here.